Good morning. We're in a series entitled Losing Your Religion, and we are comparing and contrasting over this month's time uh, Pathway to Heaven. Many, many people believe that the pathway to heaven, if you're going to make heaven, see God, live with Him forever, it'll be because you're a very, very devout religious human being. Other people believe the only way to heaven is to be saved by grace through faith, resting on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so really it's a debate between the external, what you're doing, your works, and the internal, what's in your heart, your faith. Many, many times it is easy to confuse what is religious and what is of the heart or, or, or what's really there. Even in church, you'll see something and it'll kind of look religious, but it might also look fun. I want you to watch this video because I think you'll get the idea uh, of what I'm talking about, because religion takes a left turn in, in this video. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts 2, lesson to the Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians and Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and second Thessalonians, first and second Timothy, Titus and Philemon, Hebrews, James, first and second Peter, first and second and third John, Jude and Revelation. All my exes live in I've had the mic taken from me many, many times when I've said <laughs> Jesus' ministry was about uh, removing obstacles. And uh, when uh, he came, a, a, a big part of the reason for his arrival into our world was there were things that people didn't understand about God. And so one of the priorities of his ministry was to reveal God to teach us what really honored God, uh, to teach us ways to connect with God, to understand God. Uh, Jesus, the greatest revelation that we have ever had of God himself. He also came to, uh, uh, not to wipe out sin, but to be redemption for sin. He talked a lot about how we can't be good enough, or we can't be religious enough, and that uh, in the midst of our sin, the only way possible of, of salvation for us is to literally trust him, believe in him. But it seemed that when Jesus uh, taught that the number one topic, uh, the, the thing that seemed to press on his heart and mind, the thing that seemed to anger him the most, uh, was organized religion. 
And I think organized religion had done a very, very poor job of bridging the gap between God and man. It had done a very, very good job of exposing sin, of making people feel unworthy. And what Jesus came to teach and to help us to understand is that there's a better way. There is a way that really does honor God. There is a sure path to heaven, and it's not religion. Matter of fact, I think, I think you ought to write this down. Religion was the greatest enemy of Jesus, his greatest enemy. It was the thing in which it seemed to anger him the most. Remember the story of, of Jesus being outraged in the temple because they had used the things of God in the name of religion. They'd used the things of God in the name of personal profit. They were doing the kind of things that detracted people from God rather than lifting them to God. And it angered him. He went crazy. Passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today is just one of many where, where Jesus is speaking directly to the religious leaders of his day, to the church of his day. And he's talking to them about the difference between having a relationship with him, loving, knowing, being filled with the Spirit, God a part of your life, over against just having a bunch of rules that you follow, a ritual that you follow, uh, trying to be good enough. Matthew chapter 12. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry, and, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. Now, before we go any further, this seems kind of like maybe criminal activity. But if you look back in Deuteronomy, there's a teaching there where it talks about the fact that if you're traveling and there are farmer's grain or there by the road, you might be walking through that particular agricultural area or farm, and you were more than okay for you to pluck some grain to eat what you need to keep from being hungry. Much like walking through the orange groves down in Florida. If, if you're hungry and the oranges look good and you're really quick, uh, you can grab one, right? That kind of deal. Continuing on, and when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Let's talk about the Sabbath for just a little bit. There are a couple of teachings, a couple of direct statements in relationship to the Sabbath in the Old Testament. The first is in the creative process. God worked really hard, created uh, uh, all sorts of things on the first five days. On the sixth day, he made man. He waited a little longer to make women because they needed uh, to be more beautiful, right? Amen? At least from my perspective anyway. And then what happened on the seventh day? Somebody tell me. He rested, and the word Sabbath, uh, the Hebrew word for Sabbath appears right there for the very first time. And what it literally means is to exhale. Just to exhale. Let's do that together right now. Take a deep breath. Count to 100. <laughs> no, take a deep breath and just exhale. 
That's a little bit of relief right there in the midst of a long sermon, isn't it? Just a little, little bit of relief. And that's kind of what the Sabbath was to be about. God said it's going to be a day when you rest from your labor, when you just exhale, you take a breath, you calm down. And then later, when Moses climbed the mountain and God spoke to Moses, actually, God wrote it on a tablet for Moses, there was a commandment in the midst of those ten that said, remember, say it with me, the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That's all God had to say about it. But the church got a hold of that. And they started making rule after rule after rule after rule after rule after rule. Did you get that? About what the Sabbath should look like. They had all these really, really crazy things. Like, And their Sabbath in that day was on Saturday. So some, from sundown on Friday to Saturday evening, there were things you couldn't do. Lots of things. You could not go more than 3,000 feet from your house. You had to stay at home. You couldn't cook. Anything that you were going to eat had to be cooked before the Sabbath began. They got mad at Jesus because he healed a man on the Sabbath. One of my favorite laws about the Sabbath in those days was if you were near a wall inside or outside your house and the wall tumbled and fell in on you on the Sabbath, they could dig down enough for you to get air but they couldn't completely uncover you till the Sabbath was over. I mean, just goofy stuff like that. And, and, and so it became this great big burden to try to do what you were supposed to do, and there are always in the church watchdogs, aren't there? They were looking. They broke a rule. They broke a rule. Most of our watchdogs kind of live in my office and watching me. They broke a rule. They broke a rule. Tough times. Let's continue. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God, he ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest. Have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priest in the temple profaned the Sabbath, and they're blameless? Yet I say to you, now in this place, there is one greater than the temple. And what he was saying, there's one greater than religion. There's one greater than the law. And if you had known what this meant, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of or over the Sabbath. And when he departed from there, he went into their synagogue. Jesus says several very important things as he addresses religion in this particular passage. And and the overall feel of this is that the, the church in that day, the religious leaders in that day, had completely missed what God wanted. They were so into performance. They were so into religion that they missed the fact that God himself was in their presence. They missed the power and the glory of Jesus. And Jesus begins to teach. He's saying, you guys are hung up 
because we, my disciples, have taken some grain from a farmer and had it to eat on Saturday, on the Sabbath. They were hungry. We were walking. We were traveling. There's absolutely nothing wrong with what we did, and yet somehow or another, that's what you guys want to major on. Jesus said you need to understand that, number one, I am the king of kings. And if that's not enough for you, look back at David. David, this king whom you think is wonderful, who is kind of the, uh, the guy that, that when you say king comes to mind. David ate some bread when he was running from Saul, some showbread it says. If he did it, why isn't it okay with you? And then he said, I am the word. I'm a prophet. I come from God. I am of God. And I have the truth. And what I'm about to say is far more important than any man-made rule that you have. I'm the prophet. I'm the king of kings. I'm the high priest. God speaks to me. God speaks through me. You'll have access to God through me. Your priest, they profane the Sabbath. I'm above them. I'm the high priest. So he begins to make it very, very clear that anything that they're saying about the Sabbath is not of God and that he is God and knows the truth. And then he starts to lay it out in a way that no one could miss. And he starts to f talk about the various things that religion traps you into. How it, your mindset gets uh, overcome by religion. How you start to think, if I can just do this, if I can just do that, if I can just follow what I believe are the laws, that someday I'll make it to heaven. And he says something that may be the, the, the crux of this passage. It may be the most important thing you'll come to understand today. He said, if you really knew me, if you really knew God, if you knew the heart of God, if you knew what mattered to God, then you would learn to value mercy over sacrifice. That's the first way to avoid the religious trap. You'll value mercy over sacrifice. And when he was saying sacrifice, remember in those days, if you wanted to honor God, if you wanted to come into the temple as an act of worship, probably the key act of worship in those days is you would take a lamb ram or a young calf, and that sacrifice would be laid on an altar it would be burnt up, consumed by the fire, and that would be your way of saying, you know what, God, I'm sorry for my sin. You know what, God, here's, here's what I want to offer up to you, and, and here's how much I love you. The greater your sacrifice, the more you loved God. And Jesus said, you know, that may be a good idea, but it's not a God idea. Matter of fact, here's what God desires. He desires your mercy. Now, what does mercy mean? Mercy means that when I see you in trouble, instead of hitting you over the head with my Bible, when I see you in trouble, instead of tongue-lashing you for your troubles and your failures and your sin, 
I offer to you the grace and mercy, redemption, forgiveness of God. And what Jesus said, if a church can't do that, if we can't do that as individuals, if we're busy condemning people for not looking just like we look, if we're busy condemning people for not worshiping just like we worship, if we're busy condemning people for not living up to the standards that we have created, not that God has created, then we're not merciful. If you knew God, if you knew His heart, if you knew how much He loves you, you would know that He values grace and mercy and forgiveness. Secondly, another way to avoid falling into a religious trap is you value compassion over condemnation. Compassion over condemnation. When you see hurting, broken, wounded people, your heart goes out to them. I don't have to stand in the pulpit and beg you to serve people. I don't have to stand in the pulpit and remind you that, that, that we are to be marked by our love. We're, we demonstrate our faith by our love. Compassion just flows from you. Now, unfortunately, what the church is known for in our culture today is not so much compassion as it is condemnation. Folks who are outside the congregation believe if they were to come in here, if they were to walk in a church, that they wouldn't be accepted. They wouldn't be loved. They wouldn't be forgiven. They'd be condemned. I wanted to see if that was true, so on my Facebook page this last week, I decided to ask a question. The question was something like this. What man-made standards have you ever felt when you are, or have you ever experienced when you walked into a church and these standards made you feel unaccepted, judged, confused or hurt. I thought I might have four or five people who'd beat in on that and talk. I actually had about 300. 300 people who said, I've been in a church, the church treated me this way, and I won't go back. Or I've gone back, but I'm careful. Several things. There were 100 answers or more, but I wanted to just share a few with you. Some people said, I walked into a church and when I decided to be a part of that church, the first thing they told me was even though I had been baptized somewhere along the way, I had to be rebaptized. Now, what does that say to someone? If someone comes into this church and says, you know what, I gave my heart and life to Jesus, 10 or 11, 12 years old, and, and it was meaningful and powerful and my life changed, and now you want me to be rebaptized. I was a part of a church in Stanford, Kentucky 20 years ago or so. I was a baby, really. And uh, uh, we were kicked out of our association because some people who had been baptized in a different kind of Baptist church than us came, and we didn't rebaptize them. They kicked us out, they wouldn't take our money anymore. Now, what's the Bible say about baptism? You remember the scene? Jesus comes to River Jordan. He's beginning his ministry. 
And so he goes to his cousin, John the Baptist. He, he follows uh, uh, in that wonderful act, that precious, godly act of baptism. And God, John the Baptist, dips him in the water. He immerses him. I believe the more water you use, the better, by the way. And uh, they bring him out of the water. God said, this is my son. I'm awfully proud of him. You know what I like to think? I like to think every time it happens in this place or in a myriad of other places across our world that God says the same thing. That this morning said, Riley is my son. I'm awfully proud of him. God says it's an act of obedience. It, 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 it's not an act of joining a church. It's not something that says, okay, it's a religious experience so I can be a part of a different denomination. Nothing to do with that at all. And so many people are turned off when we as a church say, not scripturally, but as a result of our own messed up doctrine. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. A lot of folks said I came into a church and they looked funny at me because of how I was dressed. Didn't look like the other people in the church and they looked at me and said, whoa, you don't belong here basically. You can do that with your eyes, can't you? I can make you know if I look at you, Susan, that I don't approve. Happens a lot of times, doesn't it? also talked about holy jeans, piercings, tattoos, things that didn't jive with what that church thought they should be looking like at a particular time. I remember when I pastored a church not far from here a few years ago, there was a, a lady who, uh, who cut my hair every week. To be honest, she was pretty bad. Or maybe she didn't have much to work with. But I kept going because she didn't know the Lord. And she'd cut and I'd talk. She cut me a couple of times now that I think about it because I was shaking my head while I was talking. Finally convinced her to come to church. It took a year. She brought her children. Her children were not dressed up, we'll say. There was a, a, a lady that sat behind her, who was a loud talker. I guess she probably couldn't hear well, so she'd talk loud. And she spent about five minutes talking about what those people were sitting in front of her wearing and why would they come to church like that. Broke my heart to see that on my Facebook page where folks said, I came into a church and I just felt so unaccepted just because of how I looked. Some folks said that they feel strange or are, are kind of weird because they worship in different ways. They might raise their hands or, or might say amen. God forbid somebody would say amen here, right? I have to ask for those. And so, you know, they didn't come back to church because they just didn't want to stand out. Talked about communion. We used to practice closed communion. 
If you weren't a member of our church, you were not going to sit at the Lord's Supper with us. didn't matter that Jesus died for everybody. We were only serving wafers to the chosen ones of this church. I can remember, I swear this is true. Not that everything I say isn't true, by the way. But I swear this is true. I can remember hand, standing in a place like this and handing the bread in, in, in the, the plates to the deacons. And, 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 and this one guy leaned into me and he said, in my section, on, you know, right back in the third, fourth row there, I'm not sure that person's a member. What do I do? And we, I mean, it was like a big deal. And, and I'd have guys come up and say, before you pass out communion, you make sure you tell the folks our rules here, who can take it and who can't. And I'd say, if you want to say it, buddy, you say it. Isn't that strange that we would take some holy, wonderful, amazing thing that Jesus did with his disciples and claim it and, and make it like if you're a part of a church, this church, you can do it? It is amazing how much we add to what God did and how harmful that can be. A lady private messaged me. She didn't want to tell her story. Her story was that long on my computer. But in a nutshell, here's what she said. I was in the Army, had a date, and on that date I was raped. got pregnant, left the army, went back home. I went to my church, and they asked me to leave. My sin was obvious and evident, and they asked me to leave. Listen to this. She said they had a shower for me. She said there were three or four ladies that brought gifts, but they wouldn't allow me to come into the church to get the gifts because of what I'd done. No one asked how I got in the situation I was. No one cared to know the story. They just wanted me to know how wrong that I'd been. See, the church's great shame, in my opinion, is that so many times we value straightening people out condemnation over compassion and religion breeds that kind of attitude trying to be good enough trying to be better than someone else always causes you to point fingers when you ought to be looking in your own heart another way to avoid religious traps is to always value people over preferences people over preferences. When Jesus began the church, when his disciples, filled with the Spirit, carried out the dictates of, of a worldwide church, the essence, the, the mission of the church is to see people come to Christ. Here's the gospel. Here's the good news. Here's the gospel. Here's the good news. If you're not a part 
of our church, if you don't know the story, if you're not a part of God's kingdom, let me tell you about it. Evangelism, the story, seeing people come to Christ. Somewhere between that time and this time, the church's mission has lost its focus. Because you know what we end up doing in church a lot of times? Well, we've got these 500 people saved. They've been here 40 years, 60 years, 5 years. We've got to keep them happy. We've got to make sure we make sure that all of those folks who already know Jesus and who ought to have their mind focused on winning other people to Jesus, we've got to make sure we keep them happy so we don't get in trouble. We've got to make sure we sing what they like and dance when they like us to and teach when they like us to, preach as long as they like us to or as short as they like us to, dress like they like us to. And we spend a lot of time in the church trying to meet the preferences of people who already know Jesus. We spend so much energy and effort doing that that we forget what we're really all about. Now I say amen. And if you want to talk to me about what we do in this church and why we do it, start your sentence by saying, I know some lost people, what can we do to get them saved? Because that's the heartbeat of the church. Now I've got another point, but I've forgotten it. <laughs> so flash it up there on the screen. Always value. the eternal over the immediate. Life's tough. Amen? I don't know what will happen to me tomorrow or you. I know I'm glad I have you guys in my life because I know you'll be there for me, whatever happens. It's the ups and downs of this life, the immediate are things that seem beyond our control. It's not so much what happens to us as how we respond to what happens to us. You see, Jesus always kept his eyes on heaven, didn't he? He was looking forward to the day that he went back. And he invited us to come. And you see, the purpose of, of our salvation, the purpose of this church, the purpose of our ministries are to make sure that we do the things and, and, and major on the things that last into eternity. Building relationships, serving one another, praying for one another, uh, lifting one another up in every way possible. This church ought to be the boost that people need to see God. You see that? Say amen. But instead, here's what Jesus said. Listen, he said to the Pharisees, you shut the doors of heaven to people. You shut the doors of heaven to people. Literally, the church was keeping people from going to heaven. Is that not absolutely ridiculous? And yet, ask around. Ask your neighbors, why don't you come to church? Why don't you believe in God? Why don't you practice your faith? And they will say the same things that Jesus talked about in the first century. The church is irrelevant. 
The church wants my money. We sure do, by the way. Because that's what God said to do. The, the church is condemning. The church has all these silly rules. I don't feel comfortable there. People aren't accepting of me. They're saying the same things today that they said then. And somehow, some way, we're shutting the doors of heaven. We're glad we're going, but we're shutting the doors. Because if we change anything, do anything different, people are up in arms. They don't care about what happens as far as people's salvation. They just want to be comfortable here. Here's the church I grew up in. Every Sunday, here's what we'd do. We would start with the doxology. Remember that? I could sing it for you now if you'd like. And when we finished the doxology, a deacon would pray. You got the wrong deacon up, it could be 15 minutes right there. Right there. Then we would sing a hymn, but never the third verse. Not ordained by God, that third verse. He had a lapse in writing when he was writing it. We'd sing another hymn, back-to-back hymns, but we'd sit down to rest to sing that one. Right? Remember that? Minister of Music would complain, people sing better when they stand up, but he'd let you sit down. Then we'd have another prayer, and then the offering. Some days, if the sermon was short, we'd sing three hymns. And then the choir or an individual would sing the special music, sermon time would, would come, you'd have three points in a poem. Sometimes the points weren't all that good. That's what you'd do, then you'd have an invitation. You'd pray again, and you'd go home. And then you'd come back on Sunday night. Sometimes on Sunday nights, we'd even sing the third verse, because we were more leisurely. (laughs) And if you did anything different, if you didn't sing enough hymns, or you sang that third verse, or you took up the offering at a different time, People would get up in arms, oh, oh, they'd get the jitters and shakes, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And you see, it wasn't at all about a relationship with Jesus, was it? Was it? I don't ever hear anybody complain to me about anything other than what happens religiously. And it scares me, guys. I think about this every Sunday. I think about it all through the week. That because of how narrow we can get, that we shut the doors of heaven. I think about the guy that lives three blocks down that might happen in here looking for Jesus and not feel accepted. I think about your neighbor that you've tried and tried to get to come to church. And when you finally get them here, that something happens or is said or is done that causes them not to see Jesus. It scares me. Because the blood, the salvation of those people are in our hands, maybe even on our hands. If we make it about us, if we make it about our preferences, if we make it about what makes us happy in the immediate and not about salvation, 
not about eternity. So you see, we've got a choice to make as a church, individually, collectively. Are we going to open the doors of heaven? Or are we going to shut them? Open the doors of heaven or shut them? Pray with me. Father, right now we we plead to hear your voice, to feel your spirit, for direction, for guidance, for hope. Father, we, we, we plead for your spirit to change our hearts. And right here in this room this morning are people who don't know you. They have no clue how much you love them. They have no no clue how glad you are just for them to listen to you today. Broken, weary, wounded folks who are so lost in life. And then there are those like me, we're religious. We're here every Sunday. Would you remind us, Father, that our religion is worthless if something on the inside of us doesn't cry out for your mercy and doesn't exhibit your mercy everywhere we go? Father, I pray that we might have your heart, that our, that our congregation might get it, might understand that it is so much not about us and it's all about you. Father, would you give us the opportunity to reach people every day Would you allow our baptistry to be used over and over and over again because people have seen your love here and desire to follow you? Would you change us? Change us from the inside out, Father, right now. In Jesus' name.